Welcome to Ride On, episode 28. I'm James Gross, and I'm joined by my co-host, Julia Fain. We're back-to-back, Julia, you know, week after week. This feels great. We're in the rhythm. Do you feel we the rhythm? We are in the rhythm. We are in the rhythm. I mean, we're also in, uh, if I can use a sports analogy, in the home stretch, right? That's a sports analogy. That's a sports analogy. We're in the home stretch to Micromobility America. So uh, you better believe it. Yes, we have to be doing these episodes every week, interviewing different founders, um, and also making sure that our loyal viewers and listeners uh, get to hear what's happening, what the news is, uh, before we all meet in person in the Bay Area. That's true. The home stretch is here, and some exciting announcements actually uh, on the home stretch. Uh, the most recent speaker to join Microly America is actually Laura Kavanaugh, who is the FDNY commissioner, kind of the highest post in uh, probably in I guess in our country's um, fire position. You know, New York being the largest city, she oversees seventeen thousand employees in a two billion dollar budget. Uh, and of course, Laura's dealt with everything from uh, I think the Ebola scare that New York went through. Um, in the 2015 or so to, of course, the COVID response. Um, and supposedly she's also an incredible athlete, one, a person that wins a lot of the, uh, the the stair climb. Have you ever participated in a fire stair climbing contest, Julia? Where they, I you know, had they no run idea those even existed. Nope. They do. Definitely yeah, not. it's a big deal. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, we got to do that one day. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll put that in the show. <laughs> Oh, Julia and James do uh, <laughs> fire stair train. <laughs> it's only tangentially um, related to micromobility. Eh, you know, it's mobility. <laughs> we have to carry a battery um, as we go up the stairs. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So yeah, Laura's joining us. A big topic, of course, is e-bike. Uh, I shouldn't say e-bikes. I should say battery fires, which, of course, uh, impact a lot of micromobility boats from mopeds to scooters to, to e-bikes. So she's coming to talk about that um, and what the fire department is doing. And some of the responses to that and of course how we can all uh learn and make sure that we're being as safe as possible so big big speaker and we'll have more speaker announcements coming uh as well but that is that is part of the home stretch um before we dro- drop into the news julia one other uh announcement is just we have a new giveaway uh from our partners over at 10 ways uh 10 ways will also be at microbility america with a beautiful booth i actually just saw a draft of it um, and they are giving away to our uh, viewers the CGO 600 Pro, uh, which we've reviewed at Ride Review, great vehicle. Um, many reviewers call it sort of the lightweight champion of e-bikes. Um, it's elegant, you know, if you've got to get rid of your bamboof, um, this would be a great replacement potentially. Um, it's about, it's a, it, 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 it uh, retails at $1,900. And if you want to enter for your chance to win, um, we'll have this contest running for the rest of the month. You can go to rideview.com and enter to win there. Um, yeah, so that's that's contest. Thanks for everyone for you know subscribing, commenting, and engaging with our content every week. Uh, and Julia, I'll send it over to you. What is what's going on in the news of small electric vehicles? Well, James, as we go into the home stretch to micromobility, there is quite a bit of news that is piling up uh, on our plate. So I'm going to cover some of the top stories um, and also some of what I think are the juiciest topics for us to discuss. Uh, the first one is about climate, uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So Bloomberg NEF uh, wrote a report that said there are nearly 300 million electric two and three wheelers on the road worldwide. 300 million, 300 million. I just want to say that number again, because I think if you think of even about the population of the US, like we're over 300 million, but not by that much. So 300 million electric two and three wheelers on the road worldwide. Collectively, they displace about four times as much oil demand as the entire global fleet of electric cars. I mean, I think James was pretty clear from the data is that the EV, EV revolution has arrived. Not arrived on four wheels, though. It's arrived on two wheels and three wheels. 
So um, this is the topic that we cover a lot, James. We talk a lot about where the EV, uh, sorry, where the electric mobility growth is happening in terms of bike mobility. And we talk about, you know, how it's growing. We even talk about what's happening in the U.S. Are you surprised by these numbers or is this just like, okay, yeah, we knew now fortunately Bloomberg is reporting on it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I think that the 300 million number, of course, is, is, is sort of spot on it, you know, like on where we, we, we sort of thought it would be, but it's still a massive number, as you say. Uh, I, I'm always concerned about how people calculate, uh, things like oil demand and oil, uh, displacement, but Bloomberg NEM, if any, you know, organization is going to do it, I think they have so much credibility. And all I could think about when I read this, Julie, was just like you and like, you're just like walking around the office with a gigantic, like. W on your chest. Like this is such a big win for, <laughs> yeah. I think everything that you stand for and have done. Um, and of course you work on a, you know, dirt, dirt, your day job. So that this must have felt really just, just great. And, and, um, yeah, I think it's, it's really exciting. This got shared to me by a lot of people. Um, so it seems like the word is getting out. And, uh, again, the, you know, the one thing I'd say is it's almost like such a bummer that incentive programs are performance-based because if this was a leaderboard and performance-based, I think all governments would look at this and say, okay, let's put all the money into two and three wheels. It's working. It's doing the job that we thought maybe electric cars would do. Uh, unfortunately, we know electric cars are getting all the, you know, the majority, vast majority of the incentive money. So I guess I'd just make a play for like, hey, let's get this performance based. Let's let's drive more incentives and programs towards uh, two and three wheelers because they are clearly making a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a really interesting point, especially around how incentives are tied towards autos rather than towards micromobility. One of the reasons why you probably see that is because the manufacturing happens domestically for automobiles and, and manufacturing does not happen domestically, at least in the U.S. for micromobility. So it could be that in other countries where you're seeing more domestic manufacturing of micromobility, um, that, um, that indeed they're getting more government support or for that matter, they're you know, getting more buy-in or buy uh, sales generally from the, the population overall. So um, I was also really pleased with this, uh, you know, report out from Bloomberg NEF for a few other reasons. One is that they actually did the, you know, estimate based on um, oil demand rather than on things like emissions, which are far less tangible. I mean, sometimes when we're talking about environmental impact, it's hard to be like, oh, well, you reduce this, you know, number of CO2, like equivalent emissions. Like, what does that even mean? What does that mean in somebody's day to day life? But when you talk about it in terms of barrels of oil, I mean, people really get that. They get going to the gas station and seeing how much more gas costs now than it did before. They get the um, uh, effect that has on the macro economy. So I thought it was just really smart that they did the estimates in terms of the barrels of oil. Um, and second, I mean, just the fact that Bloomberg NEF is paying any attention to two and three wheelers and including it when they talk about electric mobility is actually like a news story in itself. And I know that sounds so dorky, but it's actually, it's really true because if you think about how, you know, folks and analysts are, um, uh, you know, reporting on things, um, they use numbers like Bloomberg NEF and they sort of rely on that. So anyways, uh, that's, uh, you know, I would say a news update or a story that I think is worth covering, worth uh, people sharing um, an excellent infographic that they have there. James, just to tease apart some of the other things that you were talking about um, in terms of your response to that story, one thing um, that uh, is continuing to uh, gain popularity across the U.S. is electric bike vouchers. The most recent one is in Utah. They re-upped uh, their clean air partnership, working with a company called Magnum Bikes to provide eligible residents with vouchers of up to $1,200. 
What is really interesting about this program is that they're offering up to $800 off Magnum e-bike uh, and then up to $1,200 for the cargo e-bike models. The voucher amount uh, changes if you're income qualified, but it's open to like all eligible residents. So they simplified the program uh, a lot. So um, again, James, I think uh, what we're seeing here is that, uh, you know, electric bike vouchers are indeed increasing in popularity across the U.S. My question is, is there going to be a tipping point where at some point there's just so many states that are doing e-bike vouchers that we need a national program? Uh, yeah, a lot there. Um, I think it's it's really interesting for this program specifically being so tightly to Magnum, which of course has, um, you know, kind of like your point on domestic manufacturing and giving incentives. Uh, we talked to Magnum on Ride On um, probably four months ago now, uh, the CEO, and, and you know, they, had their, they have their domestic uh, stores and uh, headquarters in Utah. So it's cool to see, you know, potentially helping local state companies. Um, the thing I do love about this program, I just want to give a shout out to uh, UCARE, I think it is. So that stands for Utah Clean Air uh, Partnership. Uh, partnership, but the, the acronym is Where's UCA. Sorry, it's uh, Utah Clean and then James Air is really not an acronym anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's like a, UC, don't worry. Yeah. It'd be like UC Irvine. This is UC Air um, as an acronym. But I want to call out their website, which again, at the end of the day, is like how this will actually get done is the communicate. How do we communicate a program, a voucher, and then how do we distribute it out? And I really want to celebrate what UC Air has done, which is they've created a very clean and easy to understand if I'm eligible. So they have their standard voucher, which is actually open to all Utah residents. And then they have their income qualified voucher. And there again, it's very clear if you're going to qualify at an income level for additional uh, an additional amount. I just love this. What, what this first does is allows everyone that comes to this page to realize they have an opportunity to participate. And then two, from there, of course, there's more based on your income qualification. Um, two, you know, and Julia, you, know, you talked about this in the past, last week and on prior weeks. I think we're seeing a lot of really bad policies, whether it's the Equitable Commute Project in New York, who that's, you know, the New York Times has called out as not delivering on what they, they talked about doing, or it's CAR here in California, which still does not have their e-bike voucher program off the ground, even though it's been basically going on since 2021 from a funding perspective. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, you know we all have the responsibility um, to hold our uh, hold these uh, firms accountable. Um, you know, they're working off of uh, they're mostly nonprofits, but they're working off and off tax tax bases. Um, and you know, so one, let's celebrate what it seems like it's happening in Utah, which is clear communication, clearly working, upgrading it you know, building on momentum. Um, but then also let's point out there's a lot of programs that are failing and that needs to be called out and we need to fix that as quickly as possible. And I'll say to their credit, like CARB will be at Microbility America. They'll be on stage. They'll be talking about their program. I believe those types of questions I think we need to be asking and, you know, uh, asking slash demanding. As you mentioned, Julia, we have federal programs for cars where it couldn't be easier to get $8,500 back almost immediately um, when you buy a car. And it couldn't be clearer on which cars are eligible and which cars aren't. And every American can actually qualify for that. So, you know, let's just put ourselves at parity with cars and watch the demand, you know, fly off the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Where do I begin with that last comment, especially in terms of parity with cars? I mean, I think we're sort of beyond parity with cars, meaning that uh, e-bikes, micro-mobility needs a bit of a leg up 
uh, compared to cars in order to do better. Um, and so, you know, parity with cars is great, but if we could get even more, that would be <laughs> ideal. Maybe not realistic at the current moment, but ideal. The other thing I want to pick up on that you're saying, James, and what I'm, you know, trying to do uh, in terms of policymaking, in terms of policymakers, is policy needs to be simple and standard. We can't have just a patchwork of policy anymore. We can't have different e-bike vouchers that have different complicated language um, in each different state or city. The same thing is true, honestly. Uh, this is probably one of the, the last news stories that I'll share. Um, there was a, a, a recent news story in the UK about how Lime had to pull out of a scooter and bike share tender in Essex because uh, municipalities are basing their decision of which uh, operator to choose on lucrative revenue sharing requirements where um, the municipalities are getting as much as 30% or sometimes even more of a revenue share. And at this point, operators are pushing back and just saying, we can't do this. I mean, we have to make some money at some point. Um, and it's creating this negative cycle for both operators and cities where cities are putting out these vendors. And I think I reported on a story in Canada too, as well as this one in the UK, um, where uh, they're not able to get any operators who can operate programs in their cities. So I, one of the things that we had been talking about a lot in terms of trying to make this um, sort of um, uh, negative cycle back into a positive cycle is just having standardized agreements that municipalities uh, use with uh, operators instead of all of the legalese and the different terms of agreement and the different types of revenue sharing. I mean, it just makes that much more complicated for operators to figure out how to engage in cities. It makes it that much more expensive. Um, and similar to the e-bike vouchers, when it comes to the customer experience too, you end up having a very different customer experience um, uh, municipality by municipality or state by state that I think uh, just kind of kills the market in a way that, again, when we look at cars, we have such a standardized experience across the entire entirety of the U.S. Yeah, so yeah, I think you're right. You know, push for standards, push for uh, simplicity. It's almost great, like especially, you know, just to use the U.S. as an example, the, the sort of federalist model, like you have the states that can try things, let's see what works and it's clearly standardized and we have enough data now to to do that. So yeah, I like your, I like that framework of the standard and simple. Yeah. And then uh final news story, James, and then I'll uh, turn it over to you. And I think we're having a guest on here later today. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been talking about, <laughs> we've been talking about the whole industry has been talking about New York Times coverage of e-bikes over the past few months and some particularly egregious stories where story after story, they victim blamed um, folks who had, you know, died um, in uh, auto crashes with e-bikes. Um, they continue to do that. And now, can you guess which newspaper has decided to stand up for e-bikes? I think that's your town, your town <laughs> newspaper, <laughs> Julia. It's the LA Times. Yeah. <laughs> so New York Times has all of a sudden become a car fan. LA Times is all of a sudden a bike fan. Um, and they wrote this really, you know, there's really this really beautiful article that was just much more discerning about the real problems that are affecting our urban road networks. And they did call out uh, the fact that we are focusing on young e-bike rider safety. It's obscuring the bigger crisis. The bigger crisis, people driving cars and trucks that are killing more people on our roads. Um, so was really, really proud to see that LA Times just took the opposite tack of um, New York Times and just said, like, we're going to be pro-bike. And now I'm wondering if this is uh, actually an indicator of change in my the, the city where I live, uh, that we're going to see much more bikes and uh, hopefully actually much more bike policy. 
Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, I, I, I was mentioning to you before this, Julia, I had the opportunity to uh, attend a city hall meeting here in Encinitas, California, which is further south in LA. But, you know, we um, there was a, a declaration of an emergency. A lot of the New York Times story revolved around a specific incident of a child dying uh, here in Encinitas. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been really nice to see the response from the city. And yesterday was, I think, a really good example of like democracy at work, where um, you had all kinds of different, you had the public, you had uh, the council uh, of the city, you had the sheriff and fire department, um, you had the traffic engineers, and of course you had like we have a, a mobility and traffic safety commission and a youth commission actually all came together and and the public to um, speak on their concerns. And you know, I think at the end of the day, one thing that would be great um, for all of us is to, you know, identity politics is often talked about as like um, as a way to silo people, um, but actually think about it, it could also be the other way, which is like uh, at the end of the day, we're all mobile, right? Everything, you know, ultimately we're not, you know, bike, whether you're on a bike, whether you're walking with the car, the the goal is mobility. And of course we know the benefits of mobility. Um, and so can we actually think about it as a mobility challenge and a mobility solution? Because um, not everyone's going to go on a bike, not everyone's going to walk, a lot of people will drive. And I think you felt a lot of that. I felt a lot of that yesterday with the city. Um, and the people of the city, where I think everyone wants like common sense solutions, and there was a nice framework they used, which was education. Which again, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot more education that needs to be done for kids on on electric bikes, um, and also education for drivers to understand. There's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, a lot of drivers were there talking about, hey, there's a lot of new paint on the road. You know, there's the concept of bike boxes. Like a lot of people just don't know what is this stuff. It is, <laughs> it is fair. Like this is all very sure. new stuff, right? This yep. is. 21st century road design that not was yeah. not not around you know 30 40 years ago. So the education is so important. The engineering, how do we re-engineer roads for modes of the future, not modes of the past? Um, and then finally, enforcement, which again that was another one. I know we've talked a lot about this on this channel, Julia, but just this idea of um, seeing people from the public thanking police officers for addition, you know, like the amount of speed uh, violations they're now writing, and just this idea of um, everyone working together on some of the new. Um, the bills that are coming out, AB, uh, I get it wrong, maybe 63, which is about the uh, further reduction of speed five miles beyond the 85th percentile. And like everyone in the room kind of being like, yeah, it'd be great for the business district to be five miles per hour lower. So a lot of those stories, just seeing the agreement overall it, with common sense solutions was was really nice. And it really didn't feel like it was bikes versus cars. It really felt like, let's make this city safer for mobility. And I hope that's going on in all communities because um, we, we really need that. I mean, it's kind of strange that Encinitas has become like the poster child for e-bike debate. I mean, is that what you, like, I would not have expected of all the cities in the U.S., if I were to choose a city on a map and just like like this, like I would not have chosen Encinitas as being the center point for both this, um, what sounds like now productive conversation around traffic safety and, you know, how both uh, drivers drive and also how riders ride. Um, but for that matter, uh, what I have been really impressed by in terms of going down to, you know, Encinitas is um, seeing how many bike lanes there are and how much investment has gone into separated bike lanes and especially separated bike lanes uh, along the coast. Um, that's another thing, James, that we actually didn't talk about or I didn't talk about. And there are no news stories about uh, was separated bike lanes and just general redesign of streets. Your, your comment around how 21st century road design looks a little bit different than Yes, yeah, that's true. But, you know, the reason that people are so unfamiliar with bike boxes and other things is because we're so far behind. I mean, like painfully behind in terms of actually having dedicated and safe bike infrastructure for people to use. 
um, for you know micro mobility vehicles of all types, and that absolutely needs to change. And again, I think policymakers have to take on the onus of responsibility for that, and um, not just use e-bike vouchers as good as they are and as much as I want them to happen as band aid for not actually getting shit done when it comes to really changing uh, the safety of the road by lowering speed limits by doing things like automated enforcement when you know the community agrees with that. Um, and also by uh, actually changing the physical design of the roads. So um, I give you know hats off to Infinitas and, and maybe even personally to you, James, and your role as traffic commissioner. You're a traffic commissioner, right? Did I get that right? Transportation uh, yes. commissioner. Yeah, 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 traffic yeah. or transportation? Yeah. Traffic. Oh uh, well, it's 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 a volunteer role. It's um, I'm one of six commissioners, and it's a mobility traffic safety commission. Oh wow, that's a really long title. Yeah, but um, yes, give you kudos uh, for being able to have a productive conversation in Encinitas. Yeah, well, good point all around. Um, Julia, we're like out of time here, so I'm not going to be able to do vehicle launches this week, unfortunately. I will say, um, shout out to Land, though, and shout out to Pave, who announced both launches and funding, um, who will be at Microbility America. So if you're interested in actually seeing these vehicles and experiencing these vehicles, um, not only they they have they launched some, but they'll be there. Um, I'll cut everything else short because we have a great uh, uh, guest on, Julia, who is sitting at the middle of a lot of this intersection around uh, safety uh, and New York and fires. And, and this guest is uh, Shabazz Stewart, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Uni, if I say that correctly. Um, yep, I got the heads up from uh, Julia. So Julia, I'll invite uh, Shabazz on now. We are so excited to welcome Shabazz Stewart, the founder and CEO of Uni, onto our show today. Shabazz, it's been a minute. I mean, I know you and I had met each other many years ago, what feels like many years ago. It wasn't that many years ago. It was pre-pandemic, so it was many years ago. Uh, but many years ago, <laughs> the before times. We met each other in the before times. I was in LA. I was at the mayor's office. I was desperately trying to get Odi to come to LA and help us with uh, uh, bike parking infrastructure, which um, still isn't good in LA, let's be honest, but where you all had an elegant and an easy design. Um, so Shabazz, maybe you could just like ca- catch us up quickly. Tell us a little bit about the founding story, but also how you got to today and, and where you all are. Sure. And just to just to recap, you know, what Uni is really about is working with cities and working with private property owners to build the micro-mobility infrastructure, parking, charging, and everything there within that will allow this industry to reach its full potential. We have to be honest with ourselves. We are focusing in many cases on the the assets, the hardware, but we're not focusing on the infrastructure. And as a result, our ceiling is much lower than it should be. You know, we should be in many cases the dominant or the primary mode of transportation in cities. So cars, um, Half of all trips are below five miles, even in a place like LA, 30% are below one mile. If we can just replace those trips with micromobility, we'll see a transformation, not just in how we get around, but in the quality of urban life. And, you know, I, it, it's a funny that you mentioned our, our, our visit to LA. Um, I don't think what people really understand about UNI is the fact that we are engaging with cities on every conceivable level to get this infrastructure built and often holding hands. And so we, in 2019, farmed out to the 15 major American cities, top 15 metros, um, and had conversations. And in many cases, and we have some announcements soon, um, were, were you know, taking 
them through the pipeline of how we can build this high quality infrastructure, looking infrastructure on scale. And you know, fast forward to today, we have the nation's first secure bike parking system on the municipal level in Jersey City. That started in 2020. Um, we have uh, several locations in New York City, um, and there are several announcements we have pertaining to um, partnerships in New York, but also in other markets across the country that we're hopeful to um, get out this year um, in Q4. Um, I'll, I'll pause it there. I think I'm supposed to leave my answers under 60 seconds, but so I will. Um... <laughs> no, it's totally cool. Shabazz, we all have our nerdy topic that we like to talk for more than 60 seconds about. For James, it has to be safety and the safety hat. For me, what do I, what's my nerdy topic? Oh, usually saying that India is like a market that's undervalued in terms of micromobility. I talk a lot about that. Um, so in any case, Shabazz, totally fine uh, to, to nerd out about bike parking. One of the other things uh, I'll say, and maybe just a, a, another question for me before turning it over to James is, gosh, I mean, in addition to a pandemic, like the world has changed in micromobility since you started your company. And I remember when we had that first conversation in LA, you showed me this like really elegant pot. And the main point of it, at least at that time, was just about secure bike parking. And it was making sure like commuters and others could use that space um, to, you know, or, or people who were living in apartments and high raises didn't want to bring their, their bikes, like they could use that space in order to um, to park their bike. What we've seen since then is, you know, uh, a huge spike in terms of e-bikes. We've seen, especially in New York, a huge uh, spike in terms of um, delivery by e-bike. We've seen a lot of innovation in terms of battery swapping. We've seen innovation in terms of the charging uh, infrastructure for e-bikes itself. We've seen e-bike fires. I mean, there are so many things that I think like originally that first pod honestly was not designed to do. So like, how have you all evolved your solution? How have you started thinking of yourself more as an infrastructure company since all of those trends have really started to change what the micromobility world looks like? Yeah. I mean, look, it's just important to acknowledge um, a few things foremost. Um, when we started our conversation in uh, 2019, um, I think the market was still fixated on, uh, on shared mobility. Um, you know, we were a bit of a leopard and an outcast and saying, look, 97% of the market is personally owned or rented micromobility. And we need to create the groundwork infrastructure to support that. Um, fast forward to today, you know, post-pandemic, the e-bike revolution has affected the industry, um, you know, and, 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 and just the municipal landscape in so many ways that I don't think are fully appreciated. You know, bikes are heavier now. And they cost more. And so, you know, one of the biggest knocks in our solution early on was, well, if I park a bike and it's $500, you know, and I lose it, no big deal. And, and people who were cyclists would never say that, of course, but people who were skeptics would say, well, you know, bikes are cheap. Just ride a beater bike, right? Now, you know, here in New York, you, you know, you had folks who maybe in 2019 could carry their bike up to their apartment, up the stairs. You ain't doing that with an e-bike. You know, you had folks who would say, I have an $800 bike. It sucks if I get it stolen. I'll replace it. Maybe a $4,000 e-bike, you know, you feel that. That's the, that's the price in some cases of a used car. And so, you know, the conversation around bike parking um, is actually much more acute now than it was in 2019. The conversation around charging um, is much more acute now than it was in 2019. In 2019, look, you know, our mandate was always to fixate and focus on infrastructure. And so we always said parking and charging. Um, as a as as a foundation, but you know we didn't have because we were struggling to get um, frankly to get venture capital traction. 
we just were not able to articulate um, the full scope of the vision. Fast forward till today, you know, we have parking and charging centers and we have a product called UniPower that's going to be a, basically a charging cabinet platform, swapping e-batteries, personally owned e-batteries, um, you know, designed to scale um, in markets across the country, primarily in New York to start. Um, you know, so our, our focus hasn't changed, but I think what has changed for us is people are starting to recognize that infrastructure is a necessary part of the picture um, if the e-bike revolution and the micromobility revolution are going to kick it into second gear. And that, that pun was fully intended. Um, we're just not going to get where we want to go, where we need to be, if we don't have infrastructure as part of the conversation. I will close by saying, you know, um, James, you know, I heard that you're passionate about safety. Uh, and cities have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars um, to bolster safety. And that money has been well spent, but has also produced less ROI than it should. Because no one rides the R train in New York City or, or the LAMTA out in LA and says, my ride was really safe today, right? They don't say that. They say, oh, it was slow or it was fast. They say it was crowded or I got a seat. They say that it smelled you know, awful or it smelled great, right? They talk about speed and convenience and reliability. Those other boxes need to be checked if we're going to get micromobility in a place where it's positioned to absorb 30, 40% of mode share like we see in Amsterdam and in Copenhagen and European markets. Yeah, so Shabazz, one quick question for you here is, um, as an entrepreneur, you sit at the intersection of basically the biggest barriers to product market fit from our polling that we've seen, um, which is uh, the biggest objection or barrier, which is safety and security, right? Um, if you look at the top questions, it, it revolves around, I don't want to die, I don't feel safe, um, and I'm worried about my vehicle being stolen because, you know, there's all you know, bikes are stolen, other micro-mobility modes are stolen at much higher clips than cars for all sorts of reasons. Um, you can, you, you in a very interesting way actually handle both. Safety, not necessarily as people might think of it as like, I'm going to hit by a car, but actually a much bigger trend around safety that's now coming up, which is, uh, of course, fires of micro-mobility vehicles, which is happening where you, you of course, reside in, in New York, in London, a lot of other big cities. We had Tor Harris, the founder of uh, Juice Bikes, on an OG to the space uh, probably six months ago on on our pod. He talked about living in China and the idea that you would never bring a, a battery inside a big building, just like not even thought of. To you, the question for you is, how far are we away from that in New York City, where an e-bike battery, a scooter battery, is not going to be allowed in any building and they'll have to be placed in you know, an Unipod or somewhere else like that? I'm just curious what, what you think that that forecast might be? Uh, so New York is the canary in the coal mine for markets across the country in a fashion which I think is frankly underappreciated um, by, by advocates. Um, here's why. You know, we started seeing um, e-bike bans actually in 2021, um, you know, prior to, I think, the national media catching on. Um, we saw, um, you know, we have several transportation systems in New York. I don't want to name drop, but we saw one major subway system in, in New York um, banned e-bikes completely on the trains. Um, we started seeing in our contracts with landlords, e-bike bans forbidden from having e-bikes and e-bike charging um, inside. We were actually in several cases allowed to have e-bikes but without the battery. Um, and those are driven not by zealots. They're driven by insurance companies. They're driven by fire marshals. They're driven by risk managers. And those best practices are in the process 
of being rolled out to other markets. New York is a bit more, is a bit different only because, um, in, you know, we're a majority renting city. You know, that's familiar to folks who live in London and in China. You know, in other markets, say in San Francisco, a majority of people actually own, don't rent. And so, you know, the the, the blows there are a little bit a little bit more padded, to, to be frank. But, um, you know, I have no doubt that we'll start to see some of the best practices in New York roll out to other markets over the next few years, only because all those insurance companies and fire marshals, they're, 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 they're national organizations. And, you know, you're going to have an insurance company say when you build a building, you can have a lithium ion fire, we're not insuring it, right? And that's usually encouragement enough for a developer to say, okay, you know, we're banning e-bikes uh, from your from this property, right? Here in New York, whole universities have banned e-bikes from their campuses, yet alone their built things. Um, and so, look, I, I think it's I think it's something that that we're going to have to solve for. Now, in New York, we also have a different dynamic insofar as that we have sixty five thousand plus delivery workers. They're our biggest partner, by the way. They're developing or co-developing our charging solution with us, the LDU. Uh, that stands for Lost Deliveristas Unidos, for those of you who are not familiar with the New York landscape. Um, we got a million dollar grant from Mary Adams and Chuck Schumer to develop this charging solution alongside us. Um, you know, they largely use aero bikes um, and, and flywheels and mopeds, which is a little bit different than what we see in other markets. Um, you know, the reason why we're seeing some of these fires, there's no one like silver bullet solution, just to be frank, just to be honest. But delivery workers are quite literally power users. Um, they don't have one battery. They have five or six batteries because when you show up to ride your bike, for most of us, if it's not charged, that's annoying. You know, we'll drive, we'll take the subway, we'll walk, right? For a delivery worker, you just lost $400. So you always want to have a battery charging. You want to have a backup battery, two backup batteries to take with you on your shift, right? And for that reason, the first thing that a delivery worker does when they buy a bike is they buy a backup battery and maybe they buy another one right after. And there's not right now a convenient and easy way to procure high quality backup batteries and backup chargers. And so there's been this massive black and gray market that delivery workers use to procure these. And then they charge them in these makeshift solutions. And so when you look at a building, you might not have 10, you know, you have, you have 20 apartments, maybe you have five delivery workers. You don't have five batteries charging. You might have 50 batteries charging. It just takes one have a bad day, right? To, to, you know, to, and everything explodes, right? And then with the lithium ion fire, of course, you don't just show up and put some water on it and it goes away. You know, I think you need like 10,000 gallons of water to extinguish it. And so for all those reasons, you know, I think we're going to get to a place where we have a cocktail of solutions. Um, I think on street, in lobby, safe charging cabinets are a big part of the solution. I think battery swapping is a big part of the solution. I think services like Zomo, uh, you know, there's there there are a number of companies that do this. Um, there's Wheels. I'm sorry, there's Wiz. Um, these companies that that rent and subscribe delivery work with e-bikes are a big part of the solution. Um, I think government regulations are a big part of the solution. I think part of our solution, which is both the battery cabinets and also the software, making it really easy for delivery workers and for the rest of us to procure affordable e-bike batteries and e-bike chargers um, is also a big part of the solution, right? When you peel back the layers of the onion, it comes down to, yeah, it comes down to where are we getting these e-bike batteries? And then of course, 
the 800 pound grill in the room, you know, an e-bike battery is not like your laptop battery. It's not like your Tesla battery because it gets rain on, it falls over. And so even if you have UL certified e-bike battery, and let's say, you know, you're, you're riding along and you, you get in a little, you get a little, well, fender bender, you get in a crash, right? That battery may no longer be healthy. So with government regulation in the world, we still have to have a safe charging solution. And I, and, and like, you know, like your contact in China said, I think we're going to get to a place where cities have to start to understand e-bike and e-scooter and e-microbility charging like we understand EV charging, where we've got to have, you know, solutions on street, in public spaces, and perhaps in lobby and in garage that make it easy and convenient to charge up. Yep. Uh, Shabazz, this is a big topic. We need to spend way more time on it. That's why, we, of course, we're, we're planning to do that at Micromobility America. We hope to see you there, along with folks like Laura Kavanaugh, the FDNY commissioner, along with folks like from the CS, uh, CSBC, along with folks from Gabe Klein's office, um, as it relates to electrifying America. So, um, you know, we are dedicating a lot of our programming and time to actually topics like, of course, fire safety, battery storage, long term, like we know this is coming. So we believe in it. Clearly, you're in the center of it. I have to imagine you're, you're, you're busier than you could possibly uh, keep up with as, as a company. So congratulations there. Um, and yeah, I hope we see you uh, at Micromobility America in a month to, dis- to continue this discussion because I think the community really cares about it. And I think you're a really big part of it. So thanks for coming on and um, see you in five or six weeks. Looking forward. Can't wait to continue the conversation. Cool. Amazing. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Bye. All right, Julia. I know we're over time. We got to go. We got to go ride. It's September. We're six weeks out from Micro Billy America. Um, Have a great week and talk to you soon. Sounds good. Right on, James. Right on. Right on.